0: You're listening to the GNU World Order, episode 374. Hey everyone, my name's Klaatu, and in this episode we're going to talk about MariaDB. In other words, MySQL. You you would have known it as MySQL for, quite possibly, you still might know it as MySQL. MariaDB is the open source version of MySQL, which used to be sort of a shining star of open source, but then it got sold off. But in a very, very funny move, the creator of MySQL, as I understand it, sold MySQL to Oracle, and then forked his own open source project and continued development of MySQL as an open source product called MariaDB. Now, I don't know, I don't know if that was part of the agreement, the sales agreement, or, or how it all worked out, but I always thought that was particularly brilliant. And again, I'm I'm not privy to the finer details of that business deal, so it may have it may not be as cheeky as it sounds, but it always came across as quite clever to me. MariaDB is probably installed on your computer already if you're running Slackware, and otherwise you can install it from your software repository. And honestly, if you don't have MariaDB available to you for whatever reason then MySQL will do just fine for this for the purposes of this of this discussion because MariaDB and MySQL are currently and have been and as far as anyone can tell will continue to be completely interchangeable. Let's start off discussing some of the things that used to confuse me when I when I was first discovering professional-level databases. The very, very first thing that you need to know, MariaDB, MySQL, these are not graphical applications. They are applications that run in a terminal. They run largely through commands that you type out and send to the application. That's how they run which is great because that means that they can then be adopted by other projects and other applications that do have a graphical interface. And and that's very frequently what you'll find the database, is it is very typically called a back-end technology. The users don't necessarily interact directly with the database the way that the developer or the DBA, the database administrator, interacts with it. It's something that sort of idles in the background. That's a pretty common model both for desktop applications and websites and so on so if you've ever used LibreOffice then or the, the database component of LibreOffice then you'll know a little bit about MySQL or MariaDB from that because the database component of that does use uh, the the back end of uh, I think MySQL at the time it might have graduated onto MariaDB by now. Same goes for Amarok, the music player that that has a database, an optional database component. There there are lots of such applications. What we're going to be talking about today is the actual database itself, that the component that that generates all of that data for other for other applications. So that's one thing to understand. The other thing is that MariaDB doesn't have to be installed and running on your computer in order for you to use it, which is a little bit strange, and let me qualify this. If you've ever used SSH, then you'll kind of know a little bit about this. If if not, then this will be news to you. But there are applications out there that are called servers. Now of course there are hardware boxes out there that are called servers too. They're metal, they're big and heavy, and they fit into racks and they go onto the internet and they are the internet and people log in, go to websites, whatever. Those are servers. There's also applications that are called servers. And they're applications that run, usually on a physical server as well, but they can run on a desktop. And they're just running code. They're running processes. And when people make a call to that server, then it is listening, comes to life, and realizes that it needs to do something for a client. That would be you. So anytime you make a call to a server out there on the internet, for instance, you're essentially you're requesting for a, a task to be completed by some server that happens to be listening for requests all day, all night. That's all it does. The very common one is HTTPd, the HTTP daemon. You launch a web browser, you go to, their, go to a site, you've just made a call to a server, running on a server, that's listening for requests. And if you request, I don't know, the front, the, the, the page, you know, the default page of a website, index.html usually, then it hears that request and it sends you that information. It sends all that data to your browser. And it shows it to you on your screen. You can have the MariaDB server running on a computer anywhere in your house or on the internet, wherever this thing may be located, Raspberry Pi, whatever. And then you can log into it from your desktop or your laptop, whatever, remotely. So you're sitting at one computer talking to another one. Now, today I'm not going to bother with that because I can't be bothered to install it on some remote device. But I could do that, and MariaDB is happy to to work that way. Now, in order to access it, you do need a MariaDB client. So when I said you, it doesn't have to be installed on your local computer, that, that was a little bit misleading. I mean, you do have to have some component of MariaDB installed on your, on your computer, but you don't have to be running a MariaDB server on your machine. It can be running on a remote machine, and then you log into it from afar. Those are two things that kind of threw me for a loop, and uh, I guess... It's probably enough background information to kind of to start with. I think let's look at a couple of MariaDB commands. So first of all, we need to start a MariaDB server. Like I said, if you don't have a MariaDB instance running, then you have no you have no database to to talk to. So you do need one running. Now the setup steps for this are that they can change depending on the setup of your system or the needs of your uh, of your installation i'm just going to kind of do the obvious default that slackware uses so the first thing to do would be to well i'm trying to debate whether to say that the first thing would be to make sure that you have a clean sort of environment and i i think i will assume that you have no environment to worry about so i think the first thing to do therefore would be to start the, the database running, the the, the little server. Now, if you're not on Slackware, it's probably worth mentioning, MySQL or MariaDB generally are distributed by packagers as two pieces. One is the client, and one is the server. Now, in real life, MariaDB itself, it just thinks of itself as one thing. There's the, yes, there are client commands, and yes, there are server commands, but it just thinks itself as MariaDB. But packagers, to keep the packages that you download to install smaller and more specific to purpose, divide them into two. So on Fedora or RHEL, for instance, you'll find that MariaDB is an installable package, and MariaDB-server is a different package. And you'll need both, probably, if you want to both run and talk to the database on that one system. If, if you know that you'll never need a client on that system, I guess you could just install the server. Or more likely, you don't need the server on that system, you just need the client so you can go talk to those remote installs. On Slackware, however, it's all one package. First, setup command. It, this is a pristine system. You've never intentionally run MariaDB slash MySQL yourself on this system. You do not have a database running on this system and you have never done that yourself before. In that case, you must initialize your MariaDB instance. You must install a database in order for there to be sort of an infrastructure for these databases to exist. So MySQL underscore install underscore db that's the command you can find it in user bin it's there it's installed with the rest of the package that's how you that's your first run that's your first setup command in addition to that you need to tell you know for for this for as you set this up you need to tell Maria DB, what identity to expect uh, to have interacting with it. That was a really poorly constructed sentence, but you need to tell it who to expect to come around to, to do the administration. And again, that could be different depending on who set up your system and who created users and groups and all those other sort of low-level things. And you, you if you don't know off the top of your head, you could do, um, let's say, a less, just to be safe, of etsy slash etsy slash group you'll have to do that as root or as a pseudo user but but you can look at the groups that exist on your system kind of do a scan through there or if you're real savvy or if you have a suspicion you could do a grep on etsy group for uh the string mysql because we know that's pretty common and sure enough here on Slack, where it looked like, as part of the MariaDB install, MySQL group has been created. Its its group ID, GUID is 27, so that exists. It's a low-level, system-level group that exists and should um, probably have governance over the MySQL infrastructure of your system. And indeed, if you do a, a list on, for instance, slash var slash lib, I guess we'll do a long list, so ls, space dash l on slash var slash lib then you can find a mysql directory there which is owned by mysql and grouped by mysql read write execute for the owner read execute uh, by the group so the user that controls this data directory, varlib MySQL, is called MySQL. So when you run user bin MySQL underscore install underscore db space dash dash user equals MySQL. If you omit dash dash user equals MySQL, then everything will probably, but yeah, everything will work, uh, assuming your root or sudo. Permissioned. Everything will work, and then you will attempt to start MySQL or MariaDB, and it will fail, and you won't understand why. Well, the reason is because this was all installed, assuming that your current user, which under under the circumstances for for success, it would have to have been root. It's expecting root to come round and administrate things, and yeah, and you are you are, and it is unable, therefore to execute certain things as, for instance, MySQL user, because everything was set up for root only. So user bin MySQL install db dash dash user equals MySQL. You run that. It does some setup steps, it creates a database, creates some infrastructure. Next thing you know, you've got a nice little um, message, success message, telling you some of the next steps that you should take. It, It probably tells you how to start the database running. Again, you need that server running so that you can talk to something, right? So whatever it tells you is probably wrong for Slackware because Slackware has its own little startup script that was written, probably, I imagine, by Pat or David, Cantrell, I'm not sure which, Um, Patrick, Patrick, mysqld, Um, it's the startup script and it uses a command called mysqld underscore start, now that you probably will um, notice, no sorry, not start, that's the function name, mysqld uh, underscore safe. Is the is that command, and that you will you will recognize potentially from this um, from the, the success message after you initialize or, or install a database, it will it will reference this command user bin mysql d underscore safe. But you don't have to use that directly. You can just do that with this startup script. And the way that you would do that, of course, is sh slash etc slash rc slash rc dot and then the word start. That'll give you some information about where the logging is being kept, which is var/lib/mysql, and then your hostname. ERR, and uh, it'll tell you where the PID file exists, which I think is in roughly the same place. I don't know, it's just kind of telling me that it already exists, because I've already started my database. Now, if you want your database to start upon boot, which would be a pretty common use case for a lot of people, uh, running a database server. Like, that, if if that box exists to run MySQL, MariaDB, then if it reboots, you know, if the power goes out, or if there's an up Date that that for some reason needed you to up to, to reboot, then then you would not want to have to remember to wait around for the reboot to finish, and then for you to log in, and then for you to, to re, uh, start the database manually, and then also the other thing that you didn't start, and the other thing, you know, you, you don't want to do that. You set it up to start at boot time. So the way that you would do that, as always, on Slackware is you would, since there's already a startup script, if there wasn't one, you could write one, but there's one. So you can use chmod A plus X slash etsy slash RC dot DRC dot MySQLD, which gives of course executable permissions to all, that is the user, the group, and others for that for that script. Uh, or or you could just give it to, to user and group. It, it it's up to you. I, I do all. But you can make your own informed decision about that, I'm sure. Okay, so now the database is running because we started it with this script. And we can test that. We can verify that with MySQL admin. That's the command. It's user bin. MySQL admin dash. No, actually, I'm sorry. Before we do that, we should set the password for the root user of the database, which is what the database itself has told us to do. So it says to to run uh, MySQL MySQL admin dash u root space password space and then in quotes your new password. So doing that it would be I and mean, you can do this as a normal user as well. You don't have to be root for this. User bin MySQL admin dash U root password quote my password one two three Three. Don't actually use that password, but that's literally what I'm doing because this is just a demo, and I'm going to blow all of this away after I'm done. And that sets that password with success. And now I can uh, now we can verify. Well, first of all, that would have failed if there had been no database. So we've technically just verified that this thing is running. But otherwise, you could you could verify that your your database instance is running with MySQL admin dash u root. That's dash u is for user root is the u, the the MySQL user that we're going to be operating as dash p for yes prompt me for a password and then the word ping p i n g. We're just we're just pinging the the database. So it prompts for the password. Now this is this isn't your sudo password this isn't your root password this is the password to the database that you're pinging so that was my password 123 and it says mysqld is alive so it's it's running that's great that's good news okay so now we can do stuff with with this with this database and there are a couple of different ways to interact with mysql you can use an interactive session kind of like if you think of if you've ever used python you just type in python at the terminal and suddenly you're in a python shell it looks exactly like your terminal shell except the prompt is a little bit different it's got three chevrons instead of a dollar sign. So it's this interactive mode where you're kind of trapped in this this separate sort of command line within your terminal and so you can execute these specific MySQL commands. You can also do the same thing by prefacing everything with MySQL admin. Or, and this is a little bit more advanced, I I guess, not not that much more actually, I mean it kind of depends on your knowledge, I guess, but if you have just even the remotest familiarity with a, a programming language anything from python to java to whatever you could interact through with mysql through that programming language and in order for that i mean there are ways to do that just sort of full stop because if you can drop to a shell through that programming language then you can just execute whatever you want but there are nicer ways by by nicer i mean more convenient for you there are nicer ways to interact with mysql through a programming language because there are connectors there are there are libraries out there that bridge the gap between your programming language and mysql so you can let's say you're doing python you could import the mysql module or whatever it would be called and then you can issue commands that that talk to mysql just within your python code and there are easy variables that you can create and functions that you can call that that can do some fairly advanced processes within mysql through a very friendly programming language interface sometimes that's that's kinda nice but it's also kind of nice to just talk directly to the database sometimes, because a lot of times the more levels of abstraction you layer over something, the less it makes sense, because it just becomes so magical. And so let's let's take a look, instead of, of trying to get to MySQL through some kind of programming language that, that would ostensibly make it easy for advanced functions, let's just do some really basic functions instead. Because ultimately all the advanced functions are just combinations of, of the basic commands, as, as you might expect. Okay, so the first thing that you probably would want is a database. Now, we already have a database, because we, we did that MySQL underscore install underscore DB, and so we should be able to kind of connect to something. Might not be much, but we should be able to get somewhere with this. So the command to enter this interactive MariaDB environment is uh, mySql space dash u root dash p. So once again, we're we're connecting to MySQL as the root user of MySQL. and then we're telling it to prompt us for the password. That's what it does. It tells us to enter the password so my password one, two three, and now, It says, welcome to the MariaDB monitor. Commands end with a semicolon or a backslash G. Um, Your MariaDB connection ID is 9. That's what it says for me. Server version is such and such. Uh, Type help for help. If I type in the word help or or backslash H, it does in fact display... pretty useful little help system, I guess. It gives you some basic basic commands. Um, but by no means does it show you maybe all of the commands that you'll ever need, but this is a, a pretty good start. Certainly, I think the first one that would be maybe most important to understand is the connect, which is to connect to a server. Now, right now, we are already connected to our local host, and so there's no need to connect out to some database server because that's our database server just so happens to be running on the machine that we're sitting in front of so in the, in this particular case we do not need that but generally uh you might that might be something that you would need to do okay so we will uh do a simple little MySQL uh, a query and that is uh, show databases. And then we end the line with a semicolon. Now you will see a lot of times on when you're looking into how to do stuff with SQL and so on, you'll notice that a lot of the commands are all in cap capital letters. It's like, all DBAs are shouting all the time, and that may be true. I don't. I haven't known that many DBAs, but the the capital letters. And I don't know if this is a system specific thing, or or whether it's just a legacy thing. I'm not sure. But I used to think that it all had to be capital letters because that's what you would see in all the tutorials and stuff. Um, it doesn't actually have to be capital letters, at least on Linux. Now, again, maybe that's a system specific thing. Maybe on something like Windows, maybe you, it has to be Capitals, maybe? I don't know. I'm just I'm taking wild guesses. And it's a weird wild guess because typically uh, case sensitivity is a thing on POSIX and not on Windows, I think, is what I recall. So, I mean, I know say, case sensitivity is pretty common on POSIX. Windows, I think... I feel like it's a thing that it's not like that it doesn't recognize the difference between capital and lowercase, or, or maybe historically it didn't. So it's weird that that would be the case. Either way, whatever the reason, you can you you can you can do all capitals, ending with a semicolon, or you can do lowercase. I think you could probably even do a mixture of. Both, yeah, it doesn't seem to matter to me. So, or to to this system. So, whatever. Um. So, show databases, and it it, it does reveal that there are apparently four four databases on this system. It tells me that there that it shows me a little a little table, a little ASCII, a little ASCII art designed table. The top of which is labeled database and then there are 4 rows in the results there is information schema mysql performance underscore schema and test so this is kind of a multiple choice question i mean it's telling me that there are 4 databases because i've asked it to show me the databases so it has shown me which databases are available so this was like a list command if if you could think of it that way or or you could think of it as a um like a you know, if you're opening up a file browser or a file manager on your system and looking into a into a directory or something, this is this is just a listing of the things that it knows. Th- these are the files that it knows exist, and of course these aren't mapped exactly to files. These are databases, and they they're structured in certain ways. But we can um we we can select the thing that we want to to examine from this point, and the way to do that could be, for instance would be the the uh, keyword use, why you, uh, no, not why, oh my gosh, use, uh, which is, I- again, if you type in help, does tell you down here that there is a use, use another database, takes database name as argument, okay, so that's relatively clear, so we've already shown all the databases, we've gotten a list of them, so now we can use a database, let's use test, and I'll end the line in a semicolon, and it tells me, that the database has changed, and so now I could do a command like show, show, um, show table, no, nope, show tables, plural, there we go, and it tells me it's empty, so there's nothing in this database uh, for me to look at. Well, what if we do use MySQL, and then we say show, what was it, tables, plural? Oh, that had a lot more, okay, so MySQL database has quite a few. So database changed over to MySQL, and your prompt updates it to to, in, in a, w- to correspond with where you are. It's kind of cool. So for instance, when I first entered this environment, I got the MariaDB prompt with in square brackets the word uh, parentheses none close parentheses, parentheses and then the uh, greater than symbol a chevron whatever to um, to indicate that it is a prompt. Um, now when I when I did the use test. The, the little square brackets have test in it. Now that I've done use MySQL, it's got MySQL in there. And if I if I if we create our own database called Penguin, then Penguin would appear in that square bracket. So you kind of get a sense for where you are as you're wandering around this database system interactively. All right, so the database has changed to MySQL. I said show tables. It shows me 30 rows, and these are tables underscore in underscore MySQL, and it's telling me that it has tables for column stats, columns priv, db, event, func, general log, and so on goes on and on like that. Time zone, servers, user, lots of information in here. So this is the the database to manage our our, our database system. Like this is managing kind of like all of this information, like what databases are exist, what hosts they're running on, uh, what plugins are available, what servers are available, what users exist, what time zone everything's set for. So this is kind of a I mean, frankly, it's a pretty important database, and so I'm not going to mess with it. But um, we 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 can a little bit. I mean, because now that we're in MySQL, we could, for instance, create a user in this database. So just like you might log on to your Linux system and decide that you want your 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 coworker to be able to access and and create users and and set up a new user or whatever. Uh, you would, or even just to log in. Heck, I mean, you just want your, your colleague to be able to log into the system and do stuff on the server. Uh, you would create a user account for them with user add or add user, whatever script you use. That's pretty common stuff. Well, MySQL, it's actually really similar. Like, You've got this database sort of system running, and right now it knows of exactly one user. That user's name, as we both know, is root, and the password for that user right now, because I set it to this horrible password, is mypassword123, which obviously you would never use. But I'm using it because this is a demonstration, and I want it to be super obvious as to what the process is. So um, right now there's a root user, we're it we're we're authenticated and we can create new users so that we're not always just hanging around as as root so to do that it's a completely different set of commands and i'm trying to think yeah i don't really see that listed in the mysql help by default and i don't know exactly what that what that means in a way like how 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 do you find out how to insert a table or a rather a user yeah i guess that's not what this help system is for okay anyway um, the the command, I don't know how you find it, but the command to... I mean, you, you find it, I guess, by reading up about MySQL. So, I mean, that's how, how I discovered it. You know, you just kind of... You you, you read the documentation, I guess. I mean, that's, that's the only way I can see here. I don't see it in the help system, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, either way, I happen to know that when you want to create a new user, you can create a new user by using the insert command. I-N-S-E-R-T. And then we are because we know the tables that are present, right? We did show tables. I've got my screen littered with a bunch of help output now. But okay, so show tables, I've got 30 rows, and I see that this there's this table, that, but the row 30 is a user table. So I know that, that I could store users, presumably, in that table, and, and yes, that is what that's for. Now, there, so I guess I'll do it one way... I'll do this way first, and then I'll show you a different way to do it. This is kind of the more direct way. This is this is not I, I wouldn't say completely the, the 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 typical way to do this, but it is it, this is exactly what's happening. This is the database operation. So insert into and then user. So in this case, uh, just to almost differentiate really between the commands versus the the entities, which may, maybe that's why they do it this way. But insert and into are going to be all capitals. I mean, again, they, they don't actually have to be, but it, it does help differentiate. And then user, because the row lists user in all lowercase, I'm going to just type in lowercase. So that's insert into and then lowercase user. And then we'll do a parentheses, user, comma, host, uh, comma, I guess we'll need the password, and I'm literally, actually, I'm I'm writing exactly what I'm saying, so it's parentheses, user, comma, host, comma, password, comma, because I'm defining things that I'm going to set. Uh, for instance, select underscore priv, update underscore priv, insert underscore priv. Now these are all privilege levels of MySQL. If I didn't give this user, the user that we're creating in this process, select privileges, then the user would not be able to select a table or a record and and, and look at it. That just wouldn't be something that they could do. If I didn't give them update privs, they could look, but they could never change it. And if I didn't give them insert priv- privileges, then they could look. I don't know that they could update without, no, they could update, but they wouldn't be able to create a new thing. I think that's right. Um, And then we'll do uh, values all in capital, so closing parentheses there, and then values all in capitals, and then opening new parentheses and typing each of the values for the things that I've just defined in parentheses. So values, parentheses, uh, in quotes. So values, parentheses, quote, so the first one is user, so I'll just do user zero. Close quote comma. Quote host, well that's localhost. Close quote comma. Password, my password user zero. Or should it be user zero or user one, two, three? Nah, let's do user, user zero. I'm trying to be consistent and I'm, I know I'm going to forget all of my, my rules. So, uh, quote my password. Password user zero close quote comma and then we've got a bunch of definitions about privilege levels and so we're just gonna use quote y quote comma quote y close quote comma quote y close quote comma so that's yes yes and yes to select update and privilege uh, and and uh, select update and insert then we'll close that parentheses and I think we can end that line now I need to do one thing so that password that's a subcommand. So, password all in caps, parentheses, quote, my password user, zero, close quote, close parentheses, comma, and then yyy, y, y, each of which are in parentheses. And then we'll close the semicolon. It says that the query was okay. One row was affected. There were four warnings. I don't usually get warnings, so I have no idea what those would have been, but we're going to blissfully gloss over that. We've just inserted a user into the user table. Now, if you want to see what values exist in the user table in the database MySQL, then you are querying the database. And the query that you want to make is called a select. So when you want to see a value in a table, you are generally selecting those... the the rows of those uh, of the tables uh, the yeah the rows and the values can contained within a table so for instance we could say select user comma select priv update priv actually you know what let's do insert priv and then update priv. That's more or less like RWX, so that feels a little bit more familiar. Okay, so we want to select those values, the user and some of the privileges. But where do those values exist? Well, they exist in the table called user. So from all capitals F R O M, because that's the that's part of the query. From user, that's the table within the database that we have you that we are using, right? because we said use MySQL, so we're in the MySQL table, or database, and we're looking at the user table. So from user, and then semicolon, and that dumps a, well it doesn't dump, it prints a list of users that it can find in this database. So we've got, again, ASCII character, uh, ASCII art of a table with heading a, a, one row of headers, which is user, select, priv, insert, priv, update, priv. That's that's what we defined, and then it tells me that there's a root user, and yes, 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 on all of those privileges, and then there's a user zero with all of those privileges. Okay, well let's see what happens if we use this other way of creating a user, because you don't you don't have to go into the database, look at all the tables, insert things directly into a table. You don't have to do that. That's not for not for everything. I mean, sometimes you do, but there are certain functions that MySQL provides you with just a, a, a little little bit of, of abstraction. And in this case, the one that we could use is the create function. So rather than doing like an insert directly into a table, we could just say, you know what? MySQL is smart enough to know how to create a user. That's something that it has been programmed to do. So we can leverage those commands. So create user, that's... Two, two words, all in capitals if we're doing the whole capital thing, and then quote user1. This time we'll, we'll, we'll make one called user1. Close quote, the at symbol, and then open quote localhost, close quote. Now, if we weren't on localhost, we would define whatever server we wanted to talk to. So it could be you know, 192.168.6.6, or it could be a, a host name if that would resolve over our network, whatever. But in this case, it's it's localhost. And then we will further define it, define a password by saying identified by, so that's again, all capitals, identified, space, by, B-Y, space, and then quote, and then some password. So what's the schema that I've been using? My password user 1, I think would be the, the correct one. And then hit return. So that's just created a new user in our, in our database. There are other options that you can do for that user at the time of creation or later but for right now let's just select user again, select priv, insert priv, and update priv from user, from the table user, semicolon, and now we get a print out of our user table again. We've got root, we've got user 0, and user 1. But interestingly, user 1 has does not have select privileges, does not have insert privileges, does not have update privileges. So all of those permissions that we granted user 0 have not been granted by default to user 1. Now, you can grant or revoke Permissions to users using either the grant or the revoke command or keyword, whatever we're calling these. So if I do, for instance, grant select on asterisk dot asterisk. The reason I'm putting asterisk dot asterisk is because what I'm actually saying is on the date on on this database uh, on on this table of this database, grant select to so. I'm just, I'm doing an all-encompassing thing. Now, if you wanted to narrow that down, you could do, like, MySQL dot, uh, I've forgotten what other tables there are, but, you know, some some table, foo, dot foo, then user1 would be able to select rows in the foo table only, but not in the bar table. In this case, I just want I just want to see this everywhere. So asterisk dot asterisk. Grant select on asterisk dot asterisk, and then the word 2, T-O, and then in quote, user 1, close quote, the at symbol, and then, of course, where this database exists, which is right here, localhost. So quote, localhost, close quote, semicolon. Now I'm going to just do, just to make sure that I'm seeing this in real time, I'm going to do a flush space privileges, semicolon, and hit return. That just kind of refreshes a bunch of stuff. So select user, select priv, insert priv, update priv from user, semicolon. I get my list again, and I see that I've got root, yes, yes, yes. I got user zero, yes, 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 and I got user one, yes, no, no. So select yeah, insert no, update no. So we've made we've made changes to our to our user um, listing or u- user. Pr- permissions, privileges. There are a couple of different kinds of privileges that you would want to possibly grant to a user. You'll see this a lot if you're setting up a MySQL database for a a web CMS content management system like WordPress or, or Drupal or Joomla. You'll see things like create and delete and insert and select. So the list is... You got create, drop, delete, insert, select, update, uh, grant option, and then all, all privileges. So if you want to just make someone all powerful, obviously you could grant all privileges to uh, uh, on whatever, whatever, to username at host. I typically don't do that. So generally, you, you kind of look at the thing that you're setting this database up for, and... You grant the permissions that are required and no more. So you might see on your WordPress install instructions to create a MySQL database and then to grant the you know to create this user, a WordPress user, whatever, and then to create to grant them like uh, create, maybe delete, insert, select, maybe update. Probably I don't know. I could look it up, but my point is they'll tell you what permissions are required, and you don't have to you don't have to just give everyone. Privileges to do everything if you don't want to, and you know if it's something that's on the on a network, it's probably a good idea not to just grant all users all privileges, right? That would probably be a very bad idea. Okay, so that's that's setting up a database and creating users. Let's go have a coffee, and then we'll come back, and we'll do some sort of basic database-y types of things so that we can see why databases are worth the trouble in the first place. It's, it'll be enlightening, I'm sure. So let's go grab some coffee, and then come right back. <laughs> ¶¶ Welcome back. I know that this is kind of a late coffee break in this episode, I I am cognizant of that, and I do apologize, but I did want to get through kind of, like, you know, the basics. So let's, um... Let's look at some really basic sorts of um, operations that one might do on a database, with, with a database, because this is why these things exist. So real quick, let's just go through kind of something that we actually haven't done yet, which is create a new database. I know we did a MySQL install DB, just generating a really simple data set. It'll demonstrate the, the a simple join, but it'll also demonstrate sort of the process of, okay, well, I've got this database server, now what do I do with it? So, and the intuitiveness of it, or the relative intuitiveness of it. So if you had to guess how to create a database, knowing all of the MySQL that you know now, what do you think that would be? Well, if you're guessing it would start with the word create, just like when we created a user, that's correct. So we could do create database, as you can, again, imagine, just kind of, you can intuit this. And then I'll do, um, I don't know, fandom, F-A-N-D-O-M. And then a semicolon, or actually I'm not going to do the semicolon, and I'm going to hit return. And now I'm at this weird arrow prompt. So MySQL, the interactive nature of it, if you don't terminate your statement with that semicolon, it assumes that you're just you want to type in a more structured fashion, and that this way you can you can create commands that are multi-line. So to terminate this, I'm just going to enter semicolon and then hit return. It says query OK, one row affected. And now if I say show databases, and this time I will terminate it with a semicolon, uh, then it tells me that I've got a new... I've got five rows instead of my former four rows, and one of them is called Fandom. Perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. To create a table, it's a little bit more complex, because you have to really think about what data you intend to store here. First of all, we're going to use Fandom, semicolon. That way we we, we change... We, we, we make the Fandom database, empty though it may be, we make that our active Uh, sort of namespace and now we can do things like create table and then the name of the table now just for safety um i mean we know that it's empty i can prove that with show tables semicolon but just for safety and it's a good thing to get into the habit of i think you can use the phrase if not exists so create table if not exists and then some some table. And I guess we'll just call this uh, members. But what kind of data are we going to store in the members table? So I'm going to open up parentheses, and then just for my own sanity here in the terminal, I'm going to hit return. Notice I didn't hit the semicolon, because I'm going to continue this line, or this command on the next line. So we'll do, um, certainly we'll do user, or, um, well, we'll just call it id, I guess, because it's always good to have a unique identifier. So we'll call it id, and we'll make that an integer, so int, and we'll do auto underscore increment. That way MySQL will handle just making sure that this number keeps going up every time we we add a new thing, and we'll make this a, uh, primary key, comma, and I'm gonna hit return again, and then we'll do, um, I don't know, name, I guess, and this name will be, um, let's make it var car. uh, so variable number of characters up to, um, I guess, I don't know, 128, we'll we'll forbid anyone to have more than that, it must never be null, so not null, so, name, space, varkar parentheses, one, two, eight, close, parentheses, I don't know, maybe one, two, eight is too few, I don't know, I actually know how many name, how many, I'll do 256 instead, that seems safer. Close, parentheses, not, space, null, comma, and I think that's where I'll leave that. Actually, we could do one more thing, let's do joined, actually that's a bad name for this, I mean, in real life we could do that. I guess just creation, timestamp, all capitals, all one word. And then default current underscore timestamp. So MySQL is going to deal with all that stuff for us. And again, these kinds of commands and properties and 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 definitions, this is all in the documentation. And as far as I can tell, that's how you have to learn about it. I, I don't I don't sense a a very helpful help system within MySQL, which I think is fair too. I don't. I don't this is the interactive mode which really we're not meant to be using I don't think. I don't think this is a typical this wouldn't be the typical workflow. You'd be doing you'd be implementing these choices through a programming language talking to MySQL. I think more often than not. So we'll hit return there. Oh, I forgot the semicolon. And it says query OK, zero rows affected. Uh, but hopefully we've got now, if I do show show fandom semicolon, nope, show tables semicolon, uh, it tells me that there's um, a members table in the fandom database. So we know that that exists. And we know what kind of values it wants from us. So now we should be able to insert data into this table if we don't remember what we've defined for members we can do describe members semicolon and then it kind of breaks down for us what 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 uh, characteristics the members table expects from us. So, it, for instance, it says, okay, the field fields present in the members table are id, name, and creation. And then it, it tells me that the type. There's an integer, a varchar, a timestamp. Can it be null? No, no, and no. Does it have a key? What's the default um, value for it? And so on. So that's a very useful kind of uh, exploratory command. So now we know that the table exists and what kind of information it, it wants from us, so we can use the insert command that we used in that very, very first creation, the user creation uh, example. So insert into, and then the table name, so in this case it's members, and then in parentheses we do the columns and then we do values with the values in parentheses. You, you you may remember this from when we did it with the users. So in this case, we're going to just do ID, name, and creation, right? No, actually, we're just going to define the name because everything else is either auto-increment or uh, it's going to be... Something that my SQL takes for us takes care of for us, like the current timestamp. We don't have to set that. My SQL will do that for us. So I'm going to do insert into members parentheses name close parentheses and then values and then parentheses quote let's do um, Alice semicolon and it says okay, it's done that. Okay, we'll we'll do it again. We'll do um, we'll we'll insert a user called Bob and then Carol and then David. Now we've got four users in our table, supposedly, and we could, of course, view that table. We know how to do that. We do a select, and we'll just select, I guess, name from members, oops, members, and semicolon return. And we get a listing of the names, Alice, Bob, Carol, and David. And we know also that we can do select name, ID, creation, and that orders that that gives us that returns that information for us in that order so name and then id and then creation even though you know natively the, the way that we created it it was id name creation we can reorder that we can do creation id and then Name so all that's really basic stuff that's not a big deal and so now we'll do we'll do a, a, a different thing now so we're going to make a new table now so we'll do create create table if not exists and we'll call it distro and once again in parentheses we'll say okay well we need to give it an ID an integer auto incrementing that that's something that I do because um because that's I was told in, in the very sort of very introduction to databases that I ever had, which was at this free event that I went to. It was like a sales pitch for some kind of proprietary database. And the guy was talking about database design. It was the most one of the most fascinating things I'd ever heard. Um, and that was the only formal training on databases that I've ever had, and it shows. But he told me whoever he was for whatever proprietary database he was sell- trying to sell people. He told me, always have a unique identifier. So there you go. That's what I've done ever since. I don't know if that's actually important or what. And then we'll do name again, varchar256. That cannot be null. Uh, we won't do a creation date for that. Uh, so that actually might be everything that we need. An auto increment and a var car name. Um, should, should I make that something other than a name? Just to make it... Let's, let's say um, product id. Product... How about just Product. There. Okay. Done. Alright, so once again, describe uh, distro, semicolon, and it tells me that, yep, I've got an ID, which auto-increments for itself, and then a product. So I'm going to do an insert now into that same table, or into that table that I just created. So insert into, not members, but into distro, not name, but product, values, I'll do Slackware, Um, let's do rel, fedora, and debian, there we go. I don't know why I did so many. I just suddenly flood of of Linux names came to me. Okay, so we've got we've got some uh, we got some data now in two places. We've got we've got data in the members column and we've got data in the distro column. And that of course is a classic database concept we should in theory be able to have one table of distributions and we should be able to sort of match them back to the people who have who have told us that they use those distributions or that they use that distribution that specific distribution now the problem is we, we didn't we didn't know what we were doing when we designed this database we don't have a space for distribution in our member table we didn't know we were going to associate them with a, a specific distribution it's okay. We can change, we can update things, or rather alter things. So we'll do an alter table, A-L-T-E-R, space table, members, and the alteration that we're going to make, actually just for my own sanity, once again, I'm going to hit return, but I haven't done the semicolon yet. So we'll do an add column, that's C-O-L-U-M-N, and we'll do distro. No, sorry, we're gonna do os. I mean, I'm just, I'm being very unique in the column names, simply because I don't want to then read things back to you and have it be confusing. In real life, it wouldn't matter, because the, the columns would be defined by sort of the namespace, if you will, of that table, of the table that they are in. Okay, so we're adding a column. We add column os, and really, this just—I just want this to be a pointer to another table containing all of our potential distribution names. So I'm going to make this a, of of an integer type, so int, and it can be null because the user doesn't have to reveal the OS that they prefer or use or whatever in this imaginary uh, scenario is is involving. So I'll do a semicolon, hit return. Says it's okay. Describe members. Sure enough, now I have ID, name, creation, and OS. OS is empty right now. It is it is allowed to be null, and in in fact, all of the entries into that field, into that column for every member in my table, it is empty. So now we need to insert some data here so that we can so you know we need to populate the column, and that's in, in this case that's what the update. Function is for because obviously we've already inserted data into these tables and rows uh, and columns. We 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 just need to selectively enter data. So you can imagine if you picture this as like a LibreOffice spreadsheet, you can kind of you can kind of see what we're talking about in your head. I mean, we would have this spreadsheet, and there'd be ID, name, creation across the top, OS across the top, and then you'd be filling in the data on the in each cell in columns. So you'd have ID one, name Alice, creation, the timestamp, OS. Right now, it's null, but it wants an integer, which is then going to refer to a different table somewhere else. So we just want to we want to we need to zero in on a row one by one, and then zero in uh, and update the value in the os column of that row. And the way that you do that is update, all capital update. And then in this case the table that we want to work on is members, and we want to set set os equals 1 because she uses Slackware. Where name equals Alice. That's a little bit backwards feeling because you're kind of like you're you're sort of saying, "Okay, I want to update the data that is in this table in and and I want to insert this value or I want to set this value to 1 over here in this cell oh by the way only if the name is alice over over here in the in in this cell so it feels a little bit weird but that's the syntax and then semicolon and it says okay and we can verify that of course with a select uh, we'll just do a select asterisk from mem- members where name equals Alice, semicolon, and it gives us the whole row. That's ID name creation OS is one. So the same logic update members, set OS to something else. Let's do uh, three where name is Bob. And we could do OS, let's keep it at three for Carol. And then let's keep it at, um, let's do two for David. And once again, if we select all from members, Semicolon. Then we get Alice, Bob, Carol, and David, and we see that in the OS column we got 1332. Okay, so now we can do a join because we have data in one table that corresponds to data over in a different column. And this is called a join. It means that you take these two tables and you're sort of comparing them, relating them to one another, and saying, I want you to filter the data on in within these tables. I want you to filter it based on some condition that I will now define. And the way that we're going to define it is just one of the many ways that you can do a join. There are different kinds of joins. There are far more advanced joins, and there's different syntax for it. So what we're going to do is we're going to because I want I, I want sort of everything. So I'm just going to do a select asterisk from members. Okay, so we're selecting all rows from the table members. And then we are going to do a JOIN, J-O-I-N, all capitals, distro, so we're joining everything from members to distro, based on, so O-N, capital O-N, members, that's the table, and then .os, that's the cell, if, if, you, if you'll call it that for a moment, if you'll think of it as a cell, members.os equals distro.id. So we're just, we're telling MySQL here, that look in the OS column of the members of the current members row and j- equate that to the ID column of the distro table and and return that to me. Print that out for me. So I'll do a semicolon return and there you go. You get a nice little table with names and creation dates and all that other stuff. It is sorting it based on the os slash id column so at first glance you might think well depends on where you glance you might think it didn't work because you'd 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 look at the thing and you'd say oh this looks really familiar and out of order and this is strange Well, it's out of order because it's sorting it by a specific thing, and that's okay. So what we have here is id1 alice os1 id1, so now because we've joined the two tables, slackware. That's correct. I remember setting alice to slackware. 4, id4 is david, so he was way down at the bottom in all other iterations of printing this table out, but that's fine. It's been reordered according to the os ID. So 4 is David, OS is 2, ID is 2, and he was a rel user. I remember that because a coworker of mine is named David, and no, you know what? He, he uses Fedora. Oh well. ID 2, name Bob, OS 3, ID 3, Fedora, and then Carol is also a Fedora user, and, and, and certainly ID 3, Carol, OS 3, ID 3, Fedora so we've got slackware REL, fedora fedora and i remember that being correct so there you go we've got our little joined or our two tables that have been joined together based on values entered into one of those tables and referent you know, being referenced as it exists in another table and and through this through this system obviously we could then have 8 12 16 24 Four hundred and fifty users or or members, I guess, is what we're calling them. But and that would be in one table. But we would have our our distro table that would only ever be you know five entries, right? Slackware, RHEL, Fedora, Slackware, RHEL, Fedora, De- four four entries, Debian, Slackware, RHEL, and Fedora, and that's all we would ever need. I mean, until some member came in running something wacky like OpenSUSE or Magia. But you get my point. The distro table never has to be as long as the member table, because we can expect many members to duplicate what they're using in the OS column, whereas the OS column is is a set, a fairly s- a set of defined values. I mean, you and I, dear listener, we know that the table of Linux possible Linux distributions would basically be the longest table on any database, because there are that many. But we're we're pretending like we're being sort of rational and reasonable, and we're just sort of saying, well, here's you know, ten, twelve, twenty <laughs> Linux distributions. Just realized I said that we were being rational and reasonable, and then I I went up to twenty different distributions to choose from. Um, but there you go. It's the beauty of open source's choice. So you've got twenty items in this table, and you have you know, uh, four hundred fifteen uh, thousand members in in that table. So it doesn't have to be a one for one thing. It's not like a spreadsheet. I mean it is like a spreadsheet. And and certainly a spreadsheet could be like a database because if, if you know if you've been around spreadsheets for longer than a week, you probably know well, if you've done something complex with a spreadsheet, then you know that you could define a data set for a a certain a cell, and you're essentially making a, a breakout table, and then you can sort of make a multiple choice. So you could say, well, I'll enter their name, I'll enter the creation date, and then I'll have this little drop-down menu for OS where I can choose Slackware, RHEL, Fedora, or Debian, and and then you've only got those four entries for the OS, and you've got, you know, a thousand members. So you, you can mimic one for the other, and, and I'm not saying necessarily that you, you shouldn't use a spreadsheet. I'm just saying the database idea is powerful and important to keep in mind, especially when you're starting to uh, design systems that are more complex than just parsing a configuration file. You know, you can get away with a lot. I mean, a a configuration file, or a YAML file, or an INI file, you can do a lot with those things. And I I love those, because they are easy, and they're flat files, and they're pretty pretty straightforward to use. They've got typically really good support in lots of different languages, and you don't have to worry about whether the user has MySQL installed on their system, or SQLite, or, or whatever solution you're using, Postgres, whatever. You just... You just have flat files, and it's easy, and it's simple. But sometimes, you know, as data sets grow, or, or they become more complex, it does start to get a little bit silly to try to maintain that stuff just as a flat file in YAML, and then parsing that, 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 that data, or an XML, or whatever you've, you've chosen to use. So databases can be important at some point, and then certainly the ability to make these comparisons of, okay, well, what does this table look like compared to that table? if these two columns match up, or maybe you want to try to you know you want to get a list of things with lots of different properties so it's not just a one-to-one relation there's some kind of well i want to see the 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 table or the the matching rows and entries of of things that have have these three qualities associated with them or these eight qualities or whatever so all of that stuff is available it is a query language it is new and different and something that you have to learn but on the other hand, it's a fairly limited set of... It's a, it, the vocabulary is not huge. We are not really talking about like learning even something like Python here. Where it, It's much more like something reasonable, like Lua. Um, see, that was just me trying to take a jab at Python by comparing Lua, a, a beautifully designed language, to Python, as if, though, to disparage Python. But of course, we all love Python, deep down. Um, what I really mean to say, though... Is the syntax really is fairly limited in the in the in this query setting? Like you can do, I mean, the, you know, they, they've got they've got a good vocabulary. I'm not saying it's just a couple of commands. I've by no means covered everything in this little demo. There are lots of different commands. You can make very complex qu- queries with this with this language, but it is a limited set, and and that's kind of nice because really. Like you sit down and spend like a couple of days just doing stuff like I've just done, and you get a feel for it. And then you know the more complex stuff you can kind of hack out around as you as you need it. Um, and like I say, you've got programming languages that also tap into this stuff. So sometimes it might even be easy. It may be even simpler than learning the the query the the, the query syntax yourself, and you can just kind of get. A programming language to do some of that heavy lifting, li- lifting for you. Other times, the the library of the language isn't very helpful, and it's just kind of it's just really just bridging that gap. It's just like here's here so you don't have to drop out d- d- drop down to a system shell. You can just keep using you can do these queries through the language. Um, it just kind of depends on what you're what you're trying to do. The support is there though and the system is flexible, and that's something to think about. And as much as I would like to say that you should think about using MySQL or MariaDB or whatever we're calling it for your data storage, I would also like to point out that sometimes it's not the appropriate thing, and sometimes it is either overkill or too obfuscated or whatever. So think about it, you know carefully when you are programming something or coming up with some kind of solution for data storage for for n- taking notes or you know whatever you're thinking about using whatever you think you need to store in some structured fashion sometimes the database is the right choice i think and sometimes it's just not and learning to see the difference between those two i think it does take it takes a little bit of time um but as long as you just kind of keep it in the back of your head in the back of your mind then it i think if if you've got it there, I think eventually when you start abusing flat files and you start realizing, I'm doing this in a really bad way, I need to, this should be a database, then you'll recognize it and you'll know, okay, it's time to really get serious about a database. And, and other times you'll just think, I'm designing this stupid database and I'm not doing anything fancy with it. It's, I'm, pure, I'm just dumping data into this, into this entity. I'm never doing a join. Why am I doing this to myself? I could do this with an INI file or a YAML file or XML or, or whatever you're you know, pick your poison. So, there you go. That's MariaDB. That is um, a, a lot about MariaDB. Hopefully it is useful, hopefully it's informative, not overwhelming. It's really cool. I've 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 never had I I I don't use MySQL a whole lot. The, the most experience I have with it have been either just fun weekend projects where I do some interesting GUI to enter some information and then get tired of it and never follow up on it, or uh, in real life, like in work life, uh, WordPress stuff. And I used to maintain a lot of WordPress sites, and I they weren't managed anywhere. I mean, like, I was managing them... I was the manager. I was the admin of these sites. So doing um, manual MySQL setups and maintenance was something that I would do sometimes. Not often, not every day, not all day ever, but it would be something that I would do. Um, and I've, I have had fun with it. I've, I've always enjoyed my time with MySQL, which which is better than saying that I dread it or that I hate it or that I can't stand it, anything like that. So it's it is fun. It's something to check out something to take a look at. It ships with Slackware. Now you know about it. Now you know where to find it. You know how to use it. You know how to start it. So take a look. Try it out. You might enjoy it. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. For listening to the GNU World Order Aug Cast. This has been Clatoo. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as cast Planet, Slacker Media, SlackWare, couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Clatoo. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Clatoo at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klaatu at member.fsf.org. That's klaatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. the throat rather than mention sludge.